Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo, and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre, and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips, and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story, or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Dr. Leah Giorretano has been a clinical psychologist for many years. She's therefore well-placed to write convincing crime thrillers. Her latest book is Black Ice, the third in the series of Jill Jackson novels. Her background in psychology focuses on trauma, sex offences and psychopathology. She's worked in hospitals and has consulted to the Defence Force and the Correction System and has worked with both offenders and victims. Her first novel, Vodka Doesn't Freeze, was published in 2007. Her next, Voodoo Doll, was published in 2008. She has also worked in television. In 2009, she was the host of Channel 7's Beyond the Dark Lands. Leah, thanks for joining us today to talk to us. My pleasure. Thanks for calling. Now, tell us, you see, all of your books have been very well received critically. How did it feel to find success as a writer so quickly? It was a shock. Um, it was great, obviously, but I'd, I'd read from other writers that usually you, you have a few books under the bed before you're published. So I was expecting my first book really just to be a kind of cathartic experience for me and, and a practice go. And uh, I was really shocked when five different publishers wanted it before I'd properly edited it. So tell us why you started writing it in the first place. You have a background as a clinical psychologist. How did you then decide, you know, I'd really like to start writing fiction? Well, I'd always wanted to write a novel. You know, a lot of people feel like they've got a novel in them, Mm. but I was really full on in the middle of psychology when I decided to do this first book. I I was finishing my doctoral um, placement at Long Bay Jail and I was working with um, people with severe personality disorders, men, some of them psychopaths. Mm. And some of the things that I saw um, and learned there were so awful, um, not that I hadn't seen enough trauma in my work, but mm. there was a lot. And so I came out and really just started writing Vodka Doesn't Freeze as a way to sort of dump some of the things that I'd seen in there. So was it sort of a therapeutic experience for you initially? Yeah, it definitely was, and it it still is. Writing for me, some people, some of my psychologist friends say to me, you know, how can you go home after having heard this all day and then write about it? But Mm. writing traditionally is therapeutic for a lot of people, and and some therapies actually use writing as a way, you know, diarising to try and get your feelings out. And for me, it definitely works that way. So going over and over some of the dreadful things I've seen and putting it into fiction, uh, it allows me, first of all, to make the story end how I want it to end, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't always happen with my patients. Um, But it's also a way of, I guess, processing what I've seen and, and dealt with. And do you ever think, you know, am I putting too much of reality in this story? Or do you actually, you, you say you, that you've experienced and heard such terrible things. Do you ever temper that because truth is worse than fiction? I, I actually do. Mm. People uh, ask me the opposite question usually, Valerie. They say, you know, things aren't really that bad, are they? You mm. know, all of those things can't possibly happen to one person. 
And in fact, one of the criticisms about the lead character, Jill Jackson, in Vodka Doesn't Freeze, a lot of people love her, but a few people were incredulous that one person could go through so many things. Mm. But I actually do hold back um, from some of the things that my patients see. That I, I have clients who you know, live in some of the, the most poor and dangerous areas of our country who, mm. if they go to bed that night without getting bashed or robbed or a home invasion or sexually assaulted, then they had a good day. So I, I actually do hold back um, with with my work. Have any of your clients or people that you've worked with ever, you know, contacted you and identified themselves? I haven't had that happen. I've had ex-clients contact me and, and say, you know, great book, I love to keep going, you're doing a great job. Um, certainly some of the police I've worked with and, and some of the veterans that I've worked with. But I... I, I really, really careful to make sure that none of my patients picks up my my book and says, oh my God, she's making my story entertainment. Mm. So even though uh, the stuff that's in my books is, you know, based upon things that have happened, I twist them and um, change the facts in such a way that that my clients will will never see themselves there. I've, I've changed stories so much that one client can't feel like that's them. Mm, mm. Do you you write about some pretty dark stuff? Do you ever wonder to yourself, who likes reading this? <laughs> what what strange people likes reading this? Yeah, it's that's that's another question I get asked a lot. Why are people so interested in crime and in you know the dark side of life? And I guess um, you know it's the big. One of the biggest-selling genres in fiction, and and I've I've also done this this show for for Channel Seven Beyond the Darklands, where we're looking into the minds of killers. And I think um, all of us have a shadow side, and maybe some of us are, you know, attracted to that side of ourselves, that dark side of ourselves. Mm. But for other people, they've had experiences like this, or they know of people like this. Some some of the people who read my books say, you know, I, I read Vodka Doesn't Freeze with my eyes half shut, but it really helped me to know how pedophiles think, um, how to keep my children safer, um, and, mm. and I'm glad that I read it for that reason. So I think there's a lot of different reasons. Sometimes people, a lot of women read crime, and, mm. and it can give them a feeling of power at the end when the baddie is, is vanquished and, you know, often the, the female has saved the day. So I think there's a lot of reasons. Mm. Now, your books do feature some difficult themes like pedophilia and abuse. How difficult is it to research these things and then write about it in such a way that's not too um, exploitative or voyeuristic or, or anything yeah. like that? Yeah. So those two questions for me are really different. Researching and writing, those two thing, things are very different in this case, especially pedophilia. Mm-hmm. Researching it, I don't have to research it at all. Unfortunately, I know every, pretty much every angle of, of pedophilia that there is, from the victims and how they can recover or not, and all of the various courses they can take after they've been abused, the offenders, why they do what they do, how they think and how they groom kids and how they find them. The courts, the police, the the whole lot of uh, the families and how they cope and what they think about themselves when it's happened to their children. So, I really do no research at all when it's something like that with pedophilia, mm. but, um, because I've got so many ter- horrible stories. Mm. Um, but writing about it is very different. It was very important to me in Vodka Doesn't Freeze not to actually write a scene where a child is being sexually abused. Mm. One one reason is because I I just wouldn't want to write that. That just would be horrible for me to write. Mm. But secondly, I'd hate for any offender to pick it up and almost use it, mm. you know, 
as porn, really. And and some offenders will do that with police statements and stuff. So um, even though some people say to me, oh, God, it was so hard to read about a child being abused in in Vodka and Freeze, there isn't actually a scene in there where you see that happen. Mm. You see what the offenders might be thinking and how they're planning to get children, but you never see a child actually being sexually abused. Mm. So you've been a clinical psychologist for a while. What finally made you decide, I'm going to sit down and write now, what finally pushed you to, to, to put pen to paper or fingers to the keyboard? It really was um, doing that placement in Long Bay Jail and you know coming home with a headache every day. And mm. um, the first scene that I wrote in Vodka Doesn't Freeze was violently killing a pedophile. And I had been interviewing a man um, who had killed his three children and you know sexually abused one of them. So I, um, it, it was actually just a release to write that first scene and Mm. then the book just built around that and so I just kept writing because it felt good to write and at the end of that you know I finished my doctorate and I was starting to finish um, my first novel and and really again I didn't think that it would sell um, (laughs) and was shocked when it did. And at any point did you get writing tips or did you just let it all flow out? Well I as as the book started to become a book Mm. I started to read other writers um, not sorry, not fiction, but other writers on writing, mm. and um, and started to get some idea about you know I, I had I had no real idea about how to write a novel. I I studied English at uni um, with psychology, but not in any way did I study fiction writing. Um, it was just reading other other authors. So I did then go and look at you know um, plotting and. Um, you know, milking a scene, that kind of thing. I did look at other writers' advice on that um, sort of when I was about three-quarters of the way through the first novel, and that did help. Mm. You've told us how you wrote that first scene for Vodka Doesn't Freeze. Was there an equally um, – um, was there just as much of a catalyst for writing your other two books? Did something happen that made you then get an idea or start writing the other two books? Well, uh, so Vodka Doesn't Freeze was my my main kind of burning hate, really, and that's mm. pedophilia. Mm. And once I had written that book, I felt a lot better about that. But then others sort of cropped up and home invasions, I've, I've worked with quite a few victims of home invasions and they seem like some of the most terrifying things you could go through as well. Like, mm. imagine, it's, it doesn't sound that bad, home invasion, but imagine being asleep and waking up and somebody is in your room, in your house. The terror that, that people have is just immense. So that that's one of the themes of, of uh, Voodoo Doll, which is the second book. But there's also a veteran in there, and, and I've worked a lot with war veterans. And this particular veteran's a, a Rwandan veteran, and um, that's, you know, some of the, the patients have, or people I've seen who, who went to Rwanda to serve our country have been some of the most traumatized people I've seen. So those two themes came out in that. And then my third book, Black Ice, is really... Uh, there are villains in this book. That's the book that's out at the moment. Mm. But the main villain really is destiny or fate, because a lot of my clients are in such situations that, like I was saying earlier, they can. Um, there's danger and threat around them all the time. Mm. Um, it may be somebody who's living in their house with them, like domestic violence, or um, or, or just in their housing estate. Uh, you know, there's somebody there who wants to attack them, and so the lead character, Saren 
has to try to negotiate her way out of um, this environment. And the stakes are very high for her because she has a son. She doesn't want him to suffer the same way she has in her childhood. Mm. And so she tries to take on, I guess, the biggest target she can imagine. And um, that's a really powerful man and uh, a really wealthy man who's used to getting what he wants. And she's a, a woman without a lot of power, a lot without a lot of education, but she's also taking on fate, and we need to see whether she'll get there or not. Mm. What, what's been the hardest part of your writing journey so far? What's some of the hardest things you have to tackle as a writer? As a writer, the hardest thing is, is having too many jobs, and there's all <laughs> jobs that I like. So I can't just throw one away. Um, so in the first year when I, I got a two-book deal with Random House and they wanted a book a year, mm-hmm. um, and very quickly after, uh, I, uh, after Voodoo Doll, uh, sorry, after Vodka Doesn't Freeze went well, they, they signed me up for another two books. So I had this four-book deal with a book a year. I have, you know, I've studied for 10 years to be a psychologist and, um, you know, I, I'm, I do well in psychology, so I didn't want to give that up. So I had the hardest thing was trying to figure out when I was going to write and when I was going to work because it's very hard for me to do both on the same day. <laughs> so I've got to a point now where I, I take month blocks off from psychology. Mm. Um, yeah, so I don't do therapy a lot anymore with clients. I'm doing a lot more assessments, so I, I'm not leaving clients in the lurch for a month. Mm. So it's a lot easier that way. And I find it, uh, I know a lot of writers will write every day, but I I can't. I need that that whole month to saturate myself in writing and then I go back to psychology for a little while. So you take off a month and what do you get done in a month? Well, quite a lot. I write a lot every day. Um, So I get a lot done each day. Uh, So, you know, I... I can write up to 3,000 words a day, so you can get a lot done in a month. But um, there's a lot of plotting and, um, you know, there is quite a bit more research with the current book that I'm I'm, um, working on Mm. because there's an arsonist in there. So I I know how arsonists think, Mm. but I need to know about incendiary devices and the boiling point of certain accelerants and that kind of thing. So... Yeah, there's a lot of that going on as well. So on when you have that month off and you're in that writing mode, describe to us your typical writing day. Well, do you have a routine or, or how do you go about it? Yeah, I get up, I, I set the alarm, which I usually don't do. Uh, I set the alarm uh, for seven and I get up and feed my five cats with my husband. <laughs> um, and then we, we usually watch... Um, some kind of crime-related DVD because that just sort of stimulates my mind a little bit. Really? So we've got, yeah, we've got some, I think, you know, some. there's some great shows out there like The Wire is one we're, we're watching at the moment. Mm. So I watch something like that and then I come into a really nice room that we have a set, set aside and usually there are one or two cats around me and then I write pretty much non-stop until I've got the, the word limit that I set for myself that day. Mm. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll some I, I take a break in the middle of the day for about half an hour, but I'm pretty militant. Um, when I take a month of psychology, I really need to make that month count. So for me, that's a really effective way of um, of doing it. Every day for me is like a day that I'm spending. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I'm spending away from my my other career and and I'm putting into this career. So I put a lot of work into it. Do you ever plan to write full time? Um. I, I wouldn't mind taking a year off. That mm. would be great, to mm. actually take a year off. 
I don't know that I'll ever stop being a psychologist, though. I don't think, I mean, you know, obviously one day I'll retire, but at the moment I don't think I'll, I'll, uh, I'll stop doing psychology. I'll, I'll always do it in some capacity. I wouldn't mind doing um, some volunteer work and, and writing full-time. So I, I'd love to work with um, juvenile, female juvenile offenders because most of them are traumatised and trying to help them a little bit would be good. But at the moment, I'm, yeah, I'm... I'm not looking at full-time writing just yet. Mm. Now, you're surrounded at some times with some pretty horrific things and then you write about some pr- pretty horrific things and you start the day with a DVD <laughs> of sometimes some pretty horrific things. Do you go through your life at all feeling a little bit stressed out and paranoid um, at what can happen in the world? I have gone through periods like that, definitely, Valerie. Um, so... What I try to do is change up my life a bit when I get like that. So mm. it's a really high burnout area. I'm I'm a trauma specialist as a psychologist and there have been periods where, you know, I have been close to burning out. So that's why I have such a varied life. So like going in and doing TV and getting your hair and makeup done and that, that was a really weird thing last year and I mm. did that for most of last year. So that was a part of my job and I cut back on psychology while I was doing that. So um, the hardest thing for me is not the writing. It doesn't traumatize me at all. It makes me feel better. Mm. And doing things like TV is not traumatizing at all. Even though I'm researching psychopaths, that's interesting to me. Mm. The hard thing is seeing clients and um, you know hearing their pain and they're real people and it's not a story. So that's what I try to have boundaries on. I don't do that. I used to see eight clients a day, five days a week, mm. and I don't do anything like that anymore. So mm. I, only, I only see clients one day a week now, mm. but I write reports um, some days as well. So I just try to keep limits on that kind of thing and see friends when I can and, yeah, try and um, take breaks when I can. Mm. Now, particularly with crime fiction, the plot is so important, but so are the details of the crime, the credibility and, you know, how do you, do you, do you sit there and um, let the plot unfold? Do you, do you actually plot it all out? Do you go for a walk and let inspiration come? How does it all come to you? The plotting's the hardest for me. Mm. I, I know some writers uh, who say, you know, the plot comes easily, it's the characters that are hard, and I'm the opposite. For me, the characters become so real, and I really understand them, whether their backstory's in there or not, I know what they're thinking, how they'd react, so they can stay consistent throughout the novel. Mm. But the plot is harder for me, getting a, you know, a, a plot that's, um, like, I know the content of what's going to be in the book, I know about the crimes that are going to be in the book, but do, is it going to be a whodunit? Are we going to know the killer at the beginning and it's now a chase? Those kinds of things um, are harder. But, well, because I'm doing a whodunit at the moment and so we can never be inside the villain's head. And mm. I really love writing from the villain's perspective. Being the offender in the book mm. is, is really fun for me. But in this book, I can't be. In this one I'm writing at the moment, we have to keep him hidden. And how to do that, it's, it's, it's always... You know, it's always a, a challenge. Um, and I do try to plot from the beginning, but I inevitably find that almost all of that gets changed halfway through. Uh, yeah, I don't scrap scenes. It's just that my characters take me some other way and I start to realise something and it hits me. And it, it can be scary. And it's a bit like having a tiger by the tail sometimes, trying to rein, rein it in and, and control where it's going. But um, I just keep keep going, keep working, and um, 
and keep plotting as I go. Mm. You're currently working on your fourth book, um, which I assume is a crime novel. Yeah. Um, have, have you got any plans after that? Have you already thought about what you'd like to do? Yeah, well, this is the fourth in the series for Jill Jackson, mm. and um, the Random, doesn't, Random House are really happy with the series, so it, that will probably continue with the series mm-hmm. for a while. But I'd like to write a fantasy novel next, oh. um, but it will be an adolescent fantasy. I've always wanted to do that. In fact, that was the first book that I thought I'd write. So I think my fifth book will be an adolescent fantasy, um, but, yeah, I'll just get through this one first. Sure. So tell us a little bit about Black Ice and what, what it's about. So Black Ice uh, sees Jill Jackson undercover, Detective Jill Jackson. She is um, working in the western suburbs of Sydney trying to crack down on the ice trade, the methamphetamine trade. She's getting to know local sources and uh, she's living in the area in a rundown housing commission unit so she gets to meet all the characters and she collects CI for um, her boss, Lawrence Last, and together they put um, busts together for the bigger dealers up the chain rather than the users. Uh, she is partnered again, or she comes sort of into contact with Gabriel Delahunt again, who's a federal agent, and he is... The feds are also interested in the methamphetamine trade on a larger scale and they come across a larger dealer and, and supplier and so they target him. In the meantime, um, Jill's sister Cassie, who is a fashion model, it has always been sort of dabbling in drugs and caught up in the high end of drugs, cocaine use and that kind of thing. But uh, she get, actually gets caught up with this powerful um, drug barren through different circumstances and so Jill's undercover life and her sister uh, those two worlds collide and then the subplot I guess is Saren Templeton who is a, a, a young woman who was born into a really happy family initially and uh, she had a loving mother and father and a little baby brother the father her father died mm. and she Found, her mother found herself with a very, very violent man and Saren's life pretty much fell apart when all of that happened. So by age 15, she was a young mother, single mother, and then she also gets caught up in this drug world, not using drugs, but she gets pretty much set up and is jailed. And from her release from jail, she determines she's going to get revenge on the person who set her up and she's going to get out of this life and protect her son or she's going to die trying. Mm. And these these um, these plots twist together by the end. Wow, gripping. Um, so tell us what your advice is, finally, to budding crime writers out there who are listening to this and thinking, you know, they'd like to write their own crime novel. Well, the, the first thing, I think the most valuable thing for me, I read a book called um, The Right to Write, mm-hmm. the R-I-G-H-T to W-R-I-T-E. And it might not be the best book for everybody, but for me it was all about the inner critic and how to turn that off. And when when I'm writing, if that inner critic starts to come in, that's when I really get um, you know constipated, I guess. Mm. And that doesn't happen to me very often because I use some of the techniques that they, they suggest to turn off the critic and don't compare yourself with anyone else and don't think this isn't good enough. Just write, just keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. Um, so set your goal and just go after the goal 
um, and those those sort of those three tips really helped me a lot. And I guess the other things would be know your character really well, whether you put the va- um, the backstory in about your character, just really work on the character so you know what she likes, what she was like at a school at school, what he what you know car he might like, every kind of little what his mother might have said to him, did he have a kind auntie? All of those things are really important, whether they go in the book or not, because mm-hmm. that helps you later on when you're stuck at a certain point. It can help you know what would he do at this situ- in this point, um, what what could happen here. And I guess then once you've got uh, something written, then I would research the publishers really carefully, know what they want and how they want manuscripts submitted. Mm. There's these slush piles that I've been told about that Vodkinism Freeze was pulled out of. Mm. Um, apparently once a book gets put in there, it's very hard to, to come back out. And they're where most of the unsolicited manuscripts come if you don't have an agent and um, or where they end up. So if your book is written the way they want it written, not, not the content, but the way they want it set out, the, the number of pages they are asked for you to submit, the person they, that they wanted it submitted to, then you're more likely to be read um, rather than just looked over. Great advice. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Leah. Thanks, Valerie. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.